Take your Bibles to uh, the Gospel of John is where we're going to be back this morning. And uh, last week we were in this passage of Scripture and we saw uh, a picture of a false disciple in Judas. And, um, and so we're not going to belabor the points there. But when we come to verse 31, the Bible says, Therefore, when he was gone out, Jesus said... And this really, this verse begins the section that we know as the upper room discourse where Jesus is going to teach his disciples. And this morning, he's going to start off with this idea or the teaching of loving one another. There was an author that asked the question. He said, loving people is about the most difficult thing that some of us do. We can be patient with people and even just, just and charitable but how are we supposed to conjure up in our hearts that warm, effervescent sentiment of goodwill which the New Testament calls love? Some people are so miserably unlovable. That odorous person with a nasty cough who sat next to you in the train, shoving his newspaper into your face. That crude louts in the neighborhood with the barking dog. That smooth liar who took you in so completely last week. By what magic are you supposed to feel toward these people anything but revulsion, distrust, and resentment, and justified desire to have nothing to do with them? And so when we look at somebody and we see them as unlovable people in our flesh and from our perspective, how can God truly call us to love these people? And Jesus gives us that answer today. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that you'd help challenge us, Lord, in our faith and our walk with you. And Lord, in this area of love. And Lord, I thank you for the work that you're going to do in our hearts and lives today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus has just dealt with Judas and he told his disciples that one of them are going to betray him. And, and we saw the picture of a false disciple. And now as he transitions to begin his teaching, he wants them to know right off the bat, if you are truly a follower of me, what should be a part of, of your life? And, and if I were to go around the room right now and survey the, the congregation, and I was like, what does it mean to, to be a Christian? We could go through and we can make a long list. And we would be like, you know, go to church and read your Bible and, uh, you know, give, you know, your tithes and offerings and, uh, you know, hand out tracts and, and share the gospel. And, and somewhere along the line, the most spiritual of us would say, well, we're supposed to love other people. Well, well what does that even mean that we're supposed to love other people? See, the problem is, is that we love from our perspective. We love when we want to love and how we want to love. We love from a fleshly perspective. And Jesus wants them to understand they have to move beyond their flesh to what is truly a biblical love. So he begins to teach them in this upper room discourse. And over the next several chapters, he's going to give these intimate um, and final instructions to, to these 11 as he's preparing them for his departure. Because you see, when Jesus is gone, these are his messengers. These are the people that are to take the gospel to the world. And so these are the same instructions that he gave to these followers that he wants for us in our life. Look with me in our passage. He says, now is the Son of Man glorified. And so it's time 
then for him to be glorified. It's time for him to go to the cross. And he's been telling them about this and trying to get them to understand what it meant and what was going to happen, and yet they still did not understand it. And they really won't understand it until after the resurrection when they look back and it's like, oh yeah, that's what he was trying to teach us. That's what he was trying to tell us. But through complete obedience... Uh, of the son going to the cross, the Bible tells us the father will be glorified. Look what Jesus said. It's time for me to be glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God be glorified in him, God shall also glorify him in himself and shall straightway glorify him. Now we're going to move on to this point about loving one another, but I don't want you to miss what Jesus is about. Jesus is telling them and he says, you know, I'm going to be glorified. Basically, I'm going to be obedient to the father and I'm going to go to the cross. And the Father will be glorified in me, in my obedience. Do you know the same way that Jesus glorified the Father is the same way that we can glorify the Father as well? Complete obedience to him. Doing the work that he has called us to do. We, we have to come to this place in our life, listen, where we're, we, we just want to be obedient to God. We, we're running around and we want, to, we want our way and we want to do what we want to do and, and we want everybody to serve us. And, and, and listen, we're going to do what we want to do and what we like to do. And if we don't like it, we're going to run from it. And, if, and, and it doesn't matter what God's will is or his desire. Listen, God is not going to be glorified in that lifestyle. So many people today, oh, I love Jesus, I love God, I want to glorify him with my life, but I don't want to obey him. I don't want to be obedient to his commands. And Jesus is laying out, listen, God is glorified through Christ because of his complete obedience of being willing to go to the cross. And we're never going to glorify God through our life apart from complete obedience. Because listen, we've all been there. We've all seen it. What do, what do people do when we try to live for God? Yeah, you say this, but I remember when you did this. You, you know, we, we hold teenagers or you know, young adults to that. Yeah, I see that you're trying to live for God, but I remember when you were a teenage punk in my, you know, my Sunday school class. Or I remember how you were a snot-nosed brat and you smarted off. And, and, and I remember all of those type of things. Listen, people are quick. To, to pick up on the things that we did. And I understand we struggle and we have failures and faults and all those type of things, but we shouldn't justify those. Well, I'm just a sinner. I can't help myself. Listen, you need to get over yourself and, and start walking in the word and serving God and living for him because the only way that we're going to serve God is through complete obedience. And, and listen, we all know people. We all know people that love God and live for him. There are people that, man, if they do something wrong or, or they get angry or, or they have a curse word or something like that, we're, we're kind of shocked by it, right? We're kind of like, oh, I can't believe she said that or I can't believe he acted that way. Why? Because their normal pattern of behavior is to obey God and to love God and to serve him. That's the way everybody's life should be. Everybody should be shocked by all of us when we do something that's contrary to, contrary to God. Hey, listen, if we're going to obey God, we must be obedient to him. There is no justification for being disobedient to God and to his word. Listen, I don't care what you conjure up. There's no justification. If God's word tells us, if God expects it, that's what we must do if we want to glorify and honor him. So whatever you're doing to justify your sin, stop it. All right? Get over it. 
Simply come to the place in your life where I want to obey God. Listen, your, your immorality, listen, there's no justification for it. But neither is your anger and your selfishness and your pride and what you're lying, whatever other sin that you want to put in there, the way you treat people in a wrong way, none of that, none of that has justification. None of that has justification for it. Let me ask you this. Now, I, I struggle Let's be honest, right? I know that's hard for you to believe, but I have issues too. And, um, you know, obviously I do. But if I, if I did some of the things that you did publicly and you saw it, what would your reaction be to that? If I talked to you the way that you talk to other people, what, as your pastor, what, what would your reaction be to that? Well, you're the pastor. You should be different. Listen, I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. I'm a child of the God, of the King, just like you are. The same expectations that the Bible puts on my life, he puts, it puts on your life as well. It doesn't matter our position or our prestige or our lack thereof. All of us that are believers in Jesus Christ are called to complete obedience to God's word. And we need to stop this idea of justifying our sin. And unfortunately, churches are doing it in our society today. And so-called religious and spiritual leaders are justifying their sin. Listen, there is no justification to disobedience to God and to his word. And so we need to move beyond that. And so that brings us then to our main point of our message today. That sermon was free, and now you're going to get the real deal here, all right? This is the sermon we have for you. Jesus says, it's time for me to go to the cross, and I'm going to go. So he says, little children. I want you to notice that word right there, little children. There's a kind of a change he, he, he went from, okay, you're my disciples, you're my fellow laborers, now you're the little children. You're, you're the, you're the, uh, now I'm going to give you instructions. And here's the, the, the picture that I see here is you need to learn this. You need to, to learn this. You need to get this. And, and, and listen, this is what I come away with the, for the, uh, a couple weeks ago when I was studying this. Hey, listen, we all have stuff to learn. If you believe that you've arrived in any area of your life, you're fooling yourself. We all have stuff to learn, and we can't be so proud that we can't learn, especially from the Lord himself. And so he says, you little children, yet a little while I'm with you, you shall seek me, and as I said unto the Jews, whither I go, ye cannot come. So now, here's what I need to teach you. Now I say unto you, there's a new commandment, a new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one one another. And so Jesus here, first of all, shows them with this new commandment, his authority, his authority. Notice what he says there. I'm giving you a new commandment. You see, if you are a true disciple of Christ, then you are under his authority. You're under his authority. Here in John chapter 13, we do not find a suggestion or an option, or something that we can take or leave, but we're, we see a commandment that Jesus is giving them. And he says later on, if you love me, then keep my commandments. And so if we love him, we will submit to the authority of Jesus. Now this is countercultural. This goes against our society today, because we don't like authority. And, and we, we propagate this idea in our homes and in the church and in our community, and we see it. And it's amazing. We see a society that does not submit to authority. 
And this is what I hear even Christians say. I can't believe that they don't submit to the authority. And look at how they treat police officers and and political leaders and, and the authority in our society. And we're appalled at that. But then we walk into your living room and the same thing is happening. And you're letting your children disobey and not submit to the authority in their life. And so what happens is, is we don't like authority. So when somebody says that Christ is our authority, we say, wait a minute, we don't like that. We don't like, well, listen, I'm gonna be my own man. I'm gonna be my own woman. Nobody, nobody can tell me what to do. So we, we have a generation filled of churches filled with people that say, nobody's gonna tell me what to do. Who do you think you are to tell me this? Even when they're talking about the scriptures and the word of God. Hey, listen, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I have an authority that's over me. And his name is Jesus Christ. And I am to submit myself to him. And so what did Jesus tell these disciples? I'm giving you a commandment. I'm giving you a commandment. And when we go through the scriptures and we see God's commandments, that should be our marching orders. That should be what we're trying to do and striving to do in our life. I Listen, I want to live the life that God wants me to live. And so as Christ sits them around, and listen, I don't know what the picture is, but I could just see them sitting around, and, and Christ maybe is in the middle or standing up talking to them, and he says, listen, little children, I want you to understand, I'm giving you a new commandment. You see, these men saw Jesus as the authority. They saw the word of God as the authority in their life. And the church has gotten away from that. And we are suffering the consequences, not only in the church, but in our society, because we've gotten away from the authority of God in this world and in the, in the schools and in a, the public sector. And unfortunately, in so many places in the church and in the family. Listen, God is the authority. You know, we like to talk about, you know, the, in our society, the way they say it is the husband is the, is the king of the castle, Right? And uh, that's the secular version of it. And we say, you know, the, the church says, a little more spiritual, the husband is the head of the wife and the home. You know, it's a little more spiritual. But we forget that over the husband, Christ is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. He's the head of the family. And we're to submit ourselves to him. Listen, dads, you'll never be the dad that you're supposed to be. Husbands, you'll never be the husband that you're supposed to be if you're not submitted to the authority of Christ in your life. Wife, you'll never be the wife. Children, you'll never be the children. You'll never be the employee until you, that you're supposed to be until you submit to the authority of Christ in your life. And so Jesus lays out his authority to them as, he, as he's going to make this commandment. And I want you to get this, at least from the inspired scriptures. Nobody looked at Jesus and said, who do you think you are? Nobody said that. At least we don't have that written in the Bible. The one that might have has already left the room and went on his way. And the Bible tells us after he left, when he was gone out, Jesus began to give the instructions. And so he gives them then this, this new commandment. And here's the new commandment. Love one another. Now you might be sitting there thinking, well, what's, what's new about that? If we go back to the law in the book of Leviticus, it says that we are, we're commanded to love one another. But the problem is we're commanded to love others as we love ourselves, And so the aspect that is new here is not the command in itself, but it's the motivation. Or can I say the expectation? Because notice what he says here. We're commanded to love others as Jesus loved us. 
It's not that I'm supposed to love others as I love myself anymore. Now it's I'm supposed to love others as Jesus loved us. And so the question is, how did Jesus love us? And I'm sure we can make just a big list, but I wrote three things down for us today. How does Jesus love us that should be applied to our life and how we love others? Number one, Jesus loved us without respect of persons. Jesus loved us without respect of persons. He chose to love the unlovable or the unlovely. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Theologically and practically, when we're without Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're the enemy of God. We're the enemy of God. Now, we don't like to think that way because, you know, God is love and he loves everybody. But listen, God is holy and just and righteous and he's going to judge sin. And he has said, listen, if you're not saved and you don't have the righteousness of Christ in you, then you're my enemy. You are against me and I will judge your sin. And if you die in your sin, you will be cast into outer darkness. You will be separated from God and spend eternity in a lake of fire and hell burning and paying for your sin. That is the truth. We don't, we don't like that. Well, because, because God is love. But the truth is, is without Jesus Christ, we are the enemy of God. And do you know that while you were the enemy of God, Jesus loved you. Jesus loves his, his enemies. Jesus loves those that hate him. You know, we think of, there's a lot of uh, evil people in our world, in history. You know, if I were to ask you some of the worst people, we would name off, you know, Adolf Hitler and people like that. You know, Jesus loved him. You know, that's hard for us. You know, Jesus loved him. He died for his sin. Osama bin Laden, Jesus loved him. And he's called us to love them as well. But yet we struggle loving our neighbor, the person that we're fighting with in our neighborhood. We have a difference of opinion about. We fail to love the the people that took our parking spot at Meijer. We've, we, we've, we struggle to love people that talk bad about us. We struggle to love people that are different than us. We struggle to love people that, that, that looked at us in, in a mean way. We, we struggle to love people, let's go to a new level, that hurt our, our children in some way. Do you know there's no justification for not loving other people? Jesus loved the unlovable. You think about the person in your life that you hate. And if there's a person in your mind, you're sinning against God. Because the Bible says if we hate in our heart, we've already committed murder. We're not to hate those people. We're to love those people. And and listen, I'll I'll be the first one to be honest with you. There are people in my life that annoy me. All right? There are people that make me irritated and frustrated. That's just a reality of life. But I do not have the privilege or the right to not love those individuals. Jesus loved without respect. He loved the unlovable. We see people in our community that are struggling and failing. They're from a different economic standpoint or a different race. And we look at them with hatred. And those are the very people that Jesus loved and called us to love. Jesus loved difficult people. I I read through the New Testament, I think about Christ and his interaction with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these religious leaders. 
And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? Like, I would just like say, get out of my face and just leave me alone. I'm so tired of you being against me and what I stand for. And I'm trying to do what's right and trying to glorify God and trying to forgive people of their sin. And, and all you're doing is trying to bring them back into the religious realm and, and keep people from being saved. And yet Jesus loved those Pharisees. I think of Pharisees in the Bible like Paul that were saved because Jesus loved them. Difficult people that may be against even what we're trying to do. You know, there are people in our community that are against our church. I, I get to go, I've been down to the state house twice this month, and, and I get to go and, and meet with legislators and stuff like that. And I'm grateful for our um, representatives that are saved and believers and all that type of stuff. And I love interacting and meeting with them. But you know, every time I go down there, I meet with state representatives that hate our church. They hate our Christian school. They would Now listen, in my face, oh, we love you. Oh, we're so grateful for you. But then they vote against everything I stand for. And they would be happy if we closed our doors. You know, Jesus called me to love them. Jesus himself loved them. He loved people that the world rejected. We think about people that have leprosy in the Bible. And Jesus loved them. Think about people that were blind and maimed and halt and, and all those type of things in the scriptures. And, and Jesus loved those people. And yet we see them with disdain. I, I, I don't understand that. Jesus loves sinners. He loves without respect of person. Every person in this room, all of your good traits, but all of your idiosyncrasies and annoyances and faults and issues and all that you have in your life, Jesus loves you. And he calls, uh, called us to do the same thing, love as he loved. Then number two, not only did he love without respect of persons, he loved through action. He loved through action. He had just shown, he just shown them his love through foot washing. And as he bowed down and, and served them and washed their feet, and, and he's telling them, I'm going to the cross. And ultimately, that his love will be seen when he goes to the cross and dies for our sin. I struggle so much with Christians that say, yeah, I love like Christ loved, but then they're selfish, they're greedy, they're self-serving, life is all about them. It's just, it's just they, they never serve anybody. Yeah, they're, they're the ones that are quick to complain and gripe and, and, and about other people, but they never serve. Listen, if your attitude is serve me as opposed to how can I serve, you're not loving as Christ loved. You see, the love that Christ showed has action tied to it it's not just about our words and then number three his love has has no end his love has no end back at chapter 13 in verse 1 he says now before the feast of the passover when jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world unto the father having loved his own which were in the world he loved them unto the end you know, I, I love reading about, you know, God's love for us. And as a Christian, it just, it just stirs up joy in my life. And, and, you know, you read verses like nothing can separate us from the love of God. I mean, those are just tremendous promises. But those are also challenges to us. Because in the same way that God loved me, in the same way that God loved me, I'm supposed to love other people. This last uh, week, um, 
couple weeks, last week or so, a young man was working down in Pensacola, and he grew up uh, on the mission field. His dad and I went to college together. His name was Matt. And the young boy grew up in Honduras on the mission field and was working at Pensacola on one of their properties. And it was three o'clock or so in the afternoon, and a drunk driver lost control of his car and, and hit this young man as a freshman in college, and he killed him. And obviously the, the parents get news there in Honduras and they make their way to, to Florida dealing with this great grief. And you know, over the last week, they've had three, three memorial services for their son. One there at the, their home church in Florida, their sending church, one at Pensacola at the college. And then they went back to Honduras and they had to have another memorial service. I mean, it's just, what a, what a tragedy. What a, what a tragedy for this family to go through and lose this, this young son. And you know, I watched the services, and when the dad was speaking, he, he spoke about the love of Christ and how he's praying that the guy who drove the truck into his son and took his life would come to know Jesus Christ as his Savior, and that he wants to love him as Christ loved us. And yet so often we struggle to love people that we just have different opinions about, different personality traits, different thoughts on certain things, or just people that we interact with on a day-to-day basis. I was thinking about that missionary and praying for his family this week, and you know, it kind of hit me. Sometimes it's easy for us to say we love people in Honduras and we love people in China. We want to take the gospel to them. And it's a little harder to love people right here in our community that we see on a day-to-day basis. We know a little more intimate, and we have a little more personal relationship with. And then you take that even to a smaller group, and it's the, not the people in our society, in our town, but the people that we work with, or the people that are in our homes, and that in our, in our, in our families, loving them. Sometimes it's easy to say, well, yeah, we love them, but, but God has called us to love everybody. Love everybody as Christ loved us. And that love has no end. And you know what I took away from that is? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. So I've, I struggle. And God says if you sin, then You need to confess your sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. I understand. Nothing that I can do can separate. So nothing that you do in your life should be able to separate you from my love. It doesn't matter what you say about me, how you treat me, what you do to me. Nothing can separate. Now, that is not a challenge for you to see how far you can push me, okay? (laughs) Because nothing can separate, and we'll just settle it right there. But nothing should be able to separate. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, how you act. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. It was Henry Drummond who was, he was a contemporary of D.L. Moody and um, a friend of his and ministered together sometimes. And he was writing on 1 Corinthians 13, the, the chapter that's known as the love chapter. And he said, the greatest thing in the world, and in it entitled, the greatest thing in the world, he says that if a piece of ordinary steel is attached to a magnet and left there, 
After a while, the magnetism of the magnet passes into the steel so that it too becomes a magnet. And so he goes on to give the answer. How are we, how are we supposed to love the unlovable? How are we, when, he asked the, when we asked the question at the beginning of the sermon, how can we love those that hate us? How can we love those that hurt us? How can we love those that are, are considered the outcasts in society? He goes on to say, this is what our Lord is teaching. It is those who learn to enjoy his love, who reckon on it, rejoice in it, feel the warmth of it, and remind themselves of it. Those who remember the fact that they do not deserve it, that they in no way have earned his love, but they have it anyway. Those are the ones who become magnetized with his love and are able to pass it on to others regardless of whether they respond in kind or not. That kind of dramatic, life-changing love is authentic Christian love. For 2,000 years, our Lord has been demonstrating that he can do this with people. Not everybody who calls himself a Christian displays this kind of love. Nevertheless, there are hundreds of thousands, even millions, who through the course of the centuries have found this secret and do display a dramatic change of life. Rather than hard, arrogant, proud, contemptuous people, they have become softened, loving people. Rather than violent, angry, injurious people who strike back at everyone who comes in their path, they have become tender, loving, gentle people, changed by the love of Christ. That is what Jesus means by, as I have loved you, how do we do this? How do we love others that are unlovable, Others that have mistreated us. Others that hurt us. Others that are different than us. Love as Jesus loved us. I want you to flip over a page or so in your Bible and go to John chapter 15. We'll be here in in probably a few weeks. But John chapter 15, we have this same commandment, same idea given in verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus says then, continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, he says, that ye love one another as I have loved you. John chapter 15, if you know anything about it, is the chapter about abiding in Christ. Staying close to him, having that personal relationship with him. As the author said it in the quote that I, in the the paragraph that I just read, being magnetized by Christ. You see, if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not praying, if you're not in fellowship with Christ, if you're not abiding in him, then guess what? Guess what? You're probably not a loving person. And if you, you see, our theology has a very practical aspect to it. If you're a spiteful person, my assumption is you're probably not abiding in Christ. You're definitely not loving like Christ. If you're a person that wants to retaliate, if you're a person that can't forgive and and see the blessings in others, if you're somebody that that is angry and, and hateful towards other people, guess what? You're probably not abiding in Christ because you're definitely not loving like him. You say, well, hey, who are you to judge? Listen, all I can do is your, your fruit. You're known by your fruit. And listen, if you're loving like Christ loves, then my assumption is that you are abiding in him. I read a paragraph that said, this type of love would change our world. It would change your world. 
the revolution that he sought. And this is, this is a paragraph written by an unbelieving atheist. He said the revolution that he, speaking of Jesus, sought was a far deeper one without which reforms could only be superficial and transitory. If he could cleanse the human heart of selfish desire, cruelty, and lust, utopia would come of itself. And all those institutions that rise out of human greed and violence and the consequent need for law would disappear, since this would be the profoundest of all revolutions, beside which all others would be mere coup d'etat of class, outlasting, or ousting, excuse me, class and exploiting in its turn. Christ was, in the spiritual sense, the greatest revolutionary in history. The truth is, is if we would love as Christ loved, how our church and our families, how our world would change. 